I didn't know if they were trying to get us to bribe them or what was going on. And so those original two left and it was just three after that. And we were talking back and forth and they were like, why are you up at this time? What are you doing? Why are your lights on? <laughs> and so I had to like explain that we were, I said like, oh, we're working up there, but it's like 9 p.m. Like this isn't, this isn't like <laughs> out of the ordinary. And um, <laughs> so shut off your lights, go to bed, um, all this stuff. Um, luckily they, they didn't end up coming inside. Um, we shut off all of our lights and we were just sitting around in the dark. And uh, after that point we started putting up blankets over our windows so they couldn't see. Welcome back to the Freedom and Scrubs podcast. We're your host Kim and Aaron G. This is episode 46, Locked Up Abroad, Quarantine During Corona in Peru with our guest, Dr. Dylan Collier. All right, so we are here with part two back with Dr. Dylan Collier, a.k.a. The Big Dill, um, <laughs> which is basically my nickname for him. Um, I think you're the only one who calls I him. I could that. be, but I freaking love it. Um, and so I'm going to keep going with it. But we did. You guys have like seven different nicknames for me. I <laughs> <laughs> we do. We do. But you're such a good sport with it, too, which makes it even more fun. I but. feel like you need to coin Dr. Dill with a dill pickle, though, and make like um, – like brand it and make like shirts and stuff. I, I agree. <laughs> we'll buy it. Yeah, I'll buy it. <laughs> and then just buy it. I love that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, but we just, we just did uh, part one with traveling solo, um, which was a fantastic episode. It was so jam packed with so much value. Um, but this episode is very special. It's very special to the time that we are currently in right now because Dylan was in Peru when everything changed for the lockdowns. And so I definitely cannot wait to hear your side of this story. I've been reading on social media the things that you've posted, um, but I think this is going to be an epic episode for people to hear. Okay, so I know that you had planned to take about three months off to go travel around all over South America. So what was that original plan? What did that look like before all the crazy started? My plan was to take three months off and go down to South America. Um, it was the next continent on my list. And the plan was a month in Colombia. I was kind of up in the air about Ecuador and Peru. And then Argentina, I was most excited for with Patagonia. And this was going to be the first time that I traveled with somebody um, for about, I think it was going to be about a month and a half. And so my friend Jess, um, who was a travel OT, she came down and she was going to meet me in Ecuador. And so she was totally just along for the ride. Like whatever happened, happened. It was a great mesh. Um, I can talk more about that because it ended up being like a really, really good travel uh, partnership and went way way more smoothly than I thought it was going to go. So a quick interruption to fill you in on a little of the backstory. One of Dylan's first stops was in Colombia, and he realized there in Medellin, which I can never really say, but he actually realized that he couldn't even pronounce it properly, and so really wanted to take some time while he was in South America to learn Spanish, and he found a great Spanish school called the Blinks the Blink Spanish School, um, and it was started by a guy in Salt Lake City, and so Dylan really spent a month there learning Spanish, which really helped him out 
during this corona pandemic uh, quarantine portion. And so that's where this story takes us to next. So you're traveling around South America, like living your best life. You're in Ecuador, you meet up with your friend and then y'all head to Peru to like live your best life. And then Corona hits. So where, like, where were you? What happened when you were like, oh, you got to get out of here, go to quarantine. Like, what was it like? (laughs) (laughs) All the dirty So yeah, absolutely. So this, let's see, I started in Colombia in January and that's kind of like when coronavirus started hitting the news but I wasn't really oh, like watching any news from back home so nothing was like catching my attention nothing really did catch my attention until like mid-February and at this point we were in Ecuador and yeah it just you it didn't even cross our minds like we were we kept hearing about this we kept hearing about it back home um it wasn't until like early March March, um, I think we might have been in Peru at that time, that stuff started hitting the news more, and it started becoming more serious. Lima, we had Carnival, Carnival there. That's when things started picking up. Um, that's when like, like people were thinking like, hey, New Orleans, you shouldn't be having this big gathering of people. And I ended up getting super sick there, like three days um, to where I wasn't able to eat. Um, I had like a massive fever. We were in this like dirty hostel on the beach. Um, I was underneath this mosquito net with mold and just like oh. so sick of the smell. And it was the first time ever I've ever had the feeling of I wish I was back home. Yeah. Um, that was the first time ever that it, that has happened while I was on the road. And eventually got the fourth day. We kind of bounced out of there early because I was just tired of being there. And um, finally got the strength to like go out and eat some food and and stuff like that so after that we pretty much went to the big city of Lima we weren't really interested in staying there we pretty much just skipped it um Cusco is kind of your takeoff point for many many different adventures um including Machu Picchu at this time Argentina had closed their borders and so, so that was like the first time that we're seeing um South America respond and it wasn't too long before that that um, the U.S. had shut down their international travels, except for bringing people back home, um, or at least to Europe. So trying to remember the timeline of everything, but everything just was kind of taking off slowly. And then when it hit, it just escalated so fast. And so we were in Cusco, Argentina shut down. We were planning on going to Bolivia, seeing the salt flats, and then go to Argentina. We knew Argentina wasn't going to happen anymore, so we were like, okay, well, we'll just go And then if Peru shuts down, because, um, uh, again, at this point, nobody's, like, it, it doesn't seem like that serious of a thing. And if Peru shuts down, um, we'll take the three-day warnings that everybody else is giving, and then we'll just head back home might be a little bit more expensive but we'd rather risk it rather than cut our cut our trip short mm-hmm. and so we have maybe like a week there in Cusco we um set up some some tours and some hikes and things and then Cusco is where you go um to take off from Machu Picchu so Machu Picchu is a long car ride away um you can either take a train or you can take um, what we call a collectivo, which is like a van. 
um, full of travelers. And so we end up taking a collectivo, we drive, um, there's a couple landslides. And so um, you have to like park the van, hike part of the stuff, take another van to this other location. And then you walk down train tracks for about three hours. And then you come to this small village called Agos Calientes. And that's like your, where you stay that night. And you go from Machu Picchu um, the next morning, super early. At this point, we only had it, like when you go on this trip, you don't want to carry all of your stuff because it's a lot of hiking. And so a lot of your stuff you leave back in Cusco. And so we had like maybe two pairs of clothes and they packed on our back. Um, we get there, we get our t tickets. Also, <laughs> you, it kind of becomes a joke, but in Peru, like nothing is ever straightforward. So like this whole time we're there, like everything is just as, like they make it so difficult and so unorganized and so frustrating. Um, Jess is loving it because she's a weirdo. But I, <laughs> you get so frustrated with that, how they organize everything. You're getting ready for this trip. They tell you, okay, like you're going to have dinner and they're going to give you the tickets and you're going to meet your tour guide and they say his name. So they don't tell you where to meet him. They just say you'll, you'll meet him. They don't tell you where you're having dinner that night. They don't <laughs> tell you anything. And so we're just walking around this town like, asking people, hey, this guy, nope, okay. Hey, are you this guy? Nope, okay. And it's, it's not in that entirely small. And uh, so we're waiting for um, someone to like, come up and say hi. And finally, after like maybe a half hour, somebody sees us wearing our, the bracelets that we have to come up. Um, tell us where we're staying at for the night. Tell us where we're meeting for dinner. Um, meet for dinner. Get the tickets from Machu Picchu. I'm still hungry. We go out for second dinner after that. And then it was during the second dinner that we saw the president of Peru come on and get the state of emergency address. Um, it was all Spanish. I was trying to like piece it together, but I was oh realizing God. like what kind of was going on. And um, basically, <laughs> it came on at 8 p.m. They said, uh, I'd have to look at my notes for the specific date uh, of when it came on, but uh, basically, came on at 8 p.m said borders are closing at 12 p.m. tonight. Oh we'll have until um, 12 on Tuesday to fly out. And so we're watching this. We get back to the hotel. I do some searching to try and figure out like how, how serious this is. Um, and that was, yeah, I just looked it up. It, it was March 15th. Um, they were going to have a mandatory quarantine for 15 days for all for all citizens. Oh, and wow. we're like looking it up at night and like, okay, so we have until 12 on Tuesday. Um, we don't have any other like way to get out of here really. So we're going to go to Machu Picchu tomorrow. Afterwards, we'll get our ride back to Cusco. And then directly, once we get our the rest of our stuff, we will go to the airport and just get the first first plane to get back home. So at this point, y'all were still planning to like go to, bed. go to Machu Picchu and like live your best life, and that like I would have been freaking out. Mm -hmm. oh, you guys like well, let's get a little <laughs> and then go to Machu Picchu, <laughs> get a pisco sour. Yeah. So like up until this point, any 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 time, like everything was so relaxed, and so we're like, there's no way like it's gonna be that different with the state of emergency. So we, 
we took it as we did with everything else where like the buses don't run on time. And like literally I had a ticket of, I think I sent it to you guys. Like the only thing that matters on the ticket is the, the bus number. <laughs> Your mm-hmm. seat doesn't matter. Um, the, or, or maybe, yeah, it was, it was the station because even the bus number was different. It was the station. So they don't arrive on time. Your seat doesn't matter. The bus is a different number. And so the only thing that matters is that you're at that station. You just like awkwardly walk up to the guy. And he says, no, no, next. And uh, <laughs> then you go up again and like three buses later, finally he's like, okay, yeah, see. <laughs> so you get on the bus. Uh, everything else, like, <laughs> everything else, like, just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. Not, everything was so relaxed. So we had no idea of what was waiting for us. Um, yeah. And when we woke up woke up super early. It was like an hour walk to the front of Machu Picchu. We get there and there's just a bunch of white people standing everywhere. And I'm like, oh no. And we get to the gates and the gates are locked and they're shut. And um, I go up and talk with the guard, which I'm so thankful <laughs> that I learned Spanish um, in Colombia for a month. Um, I, I'm not fluent, but I am functional. And so we, I go up to the guards and basically asking like, hey, are you guys going to open today? And they were saying, no, it's not possible. And then it was during this time that we realized that they had canceled all the buses leaving that small town. So they had shut off all the, all the transportation between towns and cities in their quarantine. And so all the buses were canceled. And then they had canceled most of their trains. There was like a really big fancy train that you could come and take in for like a hundred bucks one way. And you, they basically canceled all of those and there was only two more trains leaving. So now everybody learns that all these tourists that are planning on going to Machu Picchu rush to the train station. So we get there and there's a massive line and we wait there for like five hours. Um, Jess waited in back. I ended up bumping into some friends I met um, a couple days before. And so I was a total line cutter and I like cut to the front. And even with that, like, they were not allowing people to buy, (laughs) they were not allowing people to buy new tickets. And so after five hours and a couple other things, um, like it was, people were freaking out. Like all this, like the day before, nobody was wearing masks. Now all of a sudden everybody's wearing masks. Like all of a sudden there's this big, you know, virus. Um, there was a lot of like heated and pushing and shoving and things like that. People speaking different languages. Um, we realized that the train, one of the trains that was still running, wasn't actually going back to Cusco. It was going to like um, a town that was still like two to one hour or one and a half to two hours away from Cusco. So even if we got on this train, we weren't going to be able to get back to Cusco. We we're potentially going to be facing the same problem there. We also didn't know what that town looked like because being in northern Peru, we realized there can be some really not very good places to be and not talking safety but just talking about poverty and no markets and really hot and no ac and like all the like places that would be very very miserable to get stuck so we made the risk um it was during this time we had a couple calls with a lady that had booked our machu picchu tickets we were very fortunate because they were actually responding Unlike many other people, I think it, it did help that I was able to speak Spanish because their English wasn't very good. And so 
we learned that they had gotten together the van that was originally supposed to pick us up that was down that three-hour walk down the train tracks and sitting at the at the place of like the drop-off point. So on the phone, <laughs> we're talking, and I'm asking this like multiple times because anything, again, anything in Peru, like they will just say whatever, and then you later find out it wasn't true. Um, so I'm asking multiple times, and I'm not getting like a super straight answer if somebody's actually going to be there or not. So it was basically a maybe. We decide we just get together. We talk um, because that, that train wasn't actually going back to Cusco, and it didn't look like we we're going to be able to buy a ticket anyhow. We were going to take the risk, walk down the train tracks, and try to get to Cusco through that through that van. And if we didn't make it, we would walk the three hours back, and oh we would stay in that small town. God. Um, with again, we only have like two pairs of clothes. We have no idea where we're going to do laundry. At this point, my only goal is to get back to our stuff, yeah. um, and then everything else can like move forward after that. Um, we do the the walk. The um, we ended up having a group of like Australians and British persons with us that did the walk with us, and luckily everything was like business as usual there, and all the vans were still there, all the buses were still there. Um, it, yeah, and the whole time, like, we're having this, like, everybody is, like, have, there's so many, like, rumors and different things going around of, oh, the police are blocking off the roads and you can't go that way. Or, oh, there's, like, this going on. Or, oh, you can't do that. They shut this down. And some of it was true and some of it was not. And so quickly you just start not listening to anybody uh, because you don't know what is true and what isn't true. And so luckily... <laughs> business as usual for these van people. We got there, um, gave them our names. We sit there for a while. We start heading back at 2.30 p.m. We drive back in this smaller van. We stop, we do this like, there's a landslide, so you have to do that little hike over and go to the next van. When we got to the next van, there was a group of like three or four girls that was in our, our original van and their names weren't on the second list. So they were like having a fight with the driver because he like didn't have their name on the list and they weren't allowed to come on. <gasps> there was no service. I tried giving them my phone. They tried to call. <clears throat> I'm 100% certain that they were supposed to be on that list. Um, because there was no service, they weren't able to get a hold of them. Um, that van just left them there. It was like literally like worst case scenario, just like in the middle of nowhere. Um, there were other like vans around, but I don't know how well their Spanish was. And the van just took off without them. Um, they were saying, oh, they're, they're military. They just left them. Yep. Um, I will say later on, as we were driving, maybe like two hours, I did see a car that went past us that looked like those girls in the back seat. So fingers crossed, they actually got out of there. But yeah, it was. Let's just tell ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> left them there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like to have happy endings. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so, they, so um, we're we're heading back, and at, at this point, until I make it to Cusco, like we don't know if we're gonna get stopped. We don't know if like you know if this guy is actually taking us to the town that we're supposed to go to because that was something that happened with buses. They just kind of tell you whatever. Um, so hopefully we're get, actually getting back to Cusco. 
Um, so nothing that we're hearing, we're taking like as truth. And um, as soon as we started, we hit like the city limits for Cusco, that's when I was able to like start relaxing and feeling like we were actually going to like get our stuff back. Yeah. Um, well, it was a cool part um, was like Jess and I were having a conversation on the way back. And it was kind of like that traveler mindset of just initially um, we were talking about like getting stuck for potentially two weeks. And cause that's when we realized how serious it was. And so it was like, okay, what do you, you know, what, what would you do in those two weeks? Oh, I would learn this or I'd work on this. And it's just initially like trying to take advantage of what potentially would be seen as a not so good moment. Um, yeah. And I think that's kind of just what you do as a traveler when challenges come up. It's like, um, how can I turn this into like a winning situation? I like to try and look at situations and think like, oh, how can I win at this? Um, and that doesn't work for everything. And there's obviously like really bad days. Um, but yeah, just again, this, I was so thankful to be stuck with somebody who kind of had that same similar mindset. Um, she was chill throughout the whole thing. I'm so thankful I didn't have somebody who was very just like freaking out and panicking because all of a sudden that's like another person to um, and calm down and take care of. And she was completely, you know, independent. We were in this together. Like, um, it was great. And we, I mean, we were both kind of freaking out, but, um, we were able to lean on each other at that, at that moment. Yeah. So we got back to Cusco. <clears throat> we found out that, um, the, the planes that were heading back, that we were supposed to have like, you know, 48 hours to fly back home. Um, all the planes have been mysteriously canceled. So there's no way for us to fly back to the United States. And uh, a lot of people tried to question. book a last minute plane. <laughs> so like, so where you guys were, like you couldn't, when you found out that they were going to lock everything down, like you couldn't jump on Hopper, Expedia or Skyscanner and just like book a flight from Cusco to St. Louis. Like that just wasn't an option because they had grounded everything. Like you just couldn't book a flight at that point. So you could, when they came on the news and were like, Hey, um, you have until 12 Tuesday, I was looking online at flights and you could, but I didn't want to book anything and miss it. Because I didn't actually know if we were going to make it back to that city. And we only had those packs on our back. Um, so we didn't book anything. Um, the people that did book something, their flights got canceled, and I don't think they ever got reimbursed. So it was kind of like a um, a little bit of a good thing that we were stuck in that small town mm -hmm. because a lot of people, their, their flights were canceled. And so flights were still running inside the country. Mm -hmm. So you could fly from Cusco to Lima that day, mm -hmm. but you couldn't fly from Lima to anywhere else. All those flights got canceled again, mysteriously without any reason or warning. Wow. And so we were very thankful we were in Cusco and not Lima. Um, Cusco was just like, it's a, before we got there, that was the, the that was the city everybody was saying was their favorite. And so we get that, like, it, it is a really cool place. Um, mm -hmm. And so we were so grateful that we we're going to be in this one. Cusco is the second largest city in Peru. Um, we were like, well, if there was any place to be stuck, like this would this would be it. So we were very thankful and mm -hmm. very fortunate throughout this, this whole trip. But yeah, so we got back um, late that night, like 8.30 p.m. We've been going since like 3.30 a.m. Um, we ended up, again, we were hearing stories like, oh, hostels are not accepting people. 
Um, they won't let you in. You're, you aren't going to be able to find a place to stay. Um, all of that turned out to be not true. Booked a hostel for a few nights, and then we were staying there. Um, that's kind of a resting point in the story because then it gets a little bit crazier after that. And at this point, they're saying y'all have to stay in quarantine for the next 14 days. And so now you guys are at this hostel and you're like, okay, are we going to stay here for 14 days or what are, what do we want this 14 days to look mm -hmm. like? Absolutely. So yeah, we were still under the impression that maybe Cusco when we get there, everything would be just running as normal. And some parts were, there were people out. Um, but when you got closer to the city center, like we were getting yelled at by cops to like go to a hostel or like we're not supposed to be out at night. Blah, 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 blah. Um, so we were told that it was going to be two weeks to quarantine. Um, the only reason they would extend is if something catastrophic happened and just no, <laughs> at this point, um, we found out later the U S embassy evacuated the next day so it closed down on I, think I said the 15th the US Embassy got out of there on the 16th no, wow. nobody could get a hold of them that entire time there was no communication by them um, until like five days later um, they like because there was nobody there the line wasn't getting answered so it was just constantly busy so you call them and just be like um, and wow you Get any information so they did, to there, they did have an automatic email start going out 16 nope um when you go into international travels there's a step program for you to go into through the government basically for them to know where you're at just in case they need to come get you um so always enrolling that okay. but um we just got this like blanket email when we try to because i tried to contact them as soon as we got cell service when i came back um, just for our information where we were, all that. And we got this like blanket response email of saying, um, we're unable to evacuate people at this time. Um, we recommend you find accommodations and follow local quarantine procedures. And that was pretty much it. Wow. So we were staying at this hostel for a few days. I started hearing stories of hostels getting like really shut down or really quarantined. At this point, we can still go out. The only thing open are banks, markets, and uh, pharmacies. So, so like restaurants and stuff food, were closed. So you guys couldn't. ATM. You guys couldn't go out and like Correct. eat or anything. Restaurants were. Mm -hmm. Restaurants were closed, except for the restaurant inside the hostel that was like <laughs> the doors are closed, so the police couldn't see in. Oh and God. then the markets were still open, so you could still go out and buy buy food. So some people were in hostels that had no kitchen, and so they had to buy each meal there for the kitchen to make. Um, we were lucky because we had a little bit of both that we could our own food, or if we weren't like feeling ramen that day, we could um, go and like get whatever the kitchen was making. Um, mm -hmm. But stories were coming out of Argentina of people getting somebody got sick, everybody else got sick, and they just shut down that whole hostel and you weren't allowed to eat. And so I started getting nervous and paranoid mm -hmm. and I wanted to go out and live um, in an Airbnb. I think Jess thought I was a little too paranoid, but I told her just because you don't think people are watching you doesn't mean they aren't. And I, I was, I didn't want to stay inside of this, um, this hostel and potentially get 
um, be at risk for like having to stay longer than we needed to. So mm-hmm. we were also hearing stories of like hostels not allowing their travelers to leave. Um, everything was like locked down. So travelers being travelers, we um, reached out to some of the people that were on that long walk back on the, on the train tracks. And um, there was three British persons that were down for moving into an Airbnb with us. So we ended up getting an Airbnb. Um, the lady was like the cutest person ever, like so nice, like so helpful. And um, we ended up moving like maybe three days after we got back from Cusco. Nice. And uh, it was just like, I think people will start banding together and start helping each other out in times and needs. That was really cool. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, the three British persons ended up being super chill, super awesome. I was a little nervous, like you're going to be stuck with some people right. that had some friction. But everybody was cool. It ended up being a great, um, great amount of people to be stuck with. Um, we were in a great location. We were in like a very, very good Airbnb. Um, mm-hmm. The internet ended up being like really good, which nice. was a first in Peru. Most of the um, internet was pretty laggy, but um, yeah, we ended up getting super lucky for this for this Airbnb. So at this point, were you guys just thinking, okay, cool, like we've got 14 days, that's doable, we've got our Airbnb, we can go to the market, we've got food, like we're just going to hunker down and like use this two weeks to do some things we've been wanting to do and catch up on and in 14 days we'll be out of here. Is that kind of the thought? Yep. Yep, that was pretty much it. Okay. That was the thought. Um, We started noticing like – the nightly curfew started um, happening between 8 p.m. and 5 a.m. And this was like a couple, like, we're hearing all these rumors about the rules, about what you can do, what you can't do. Um, we're getting stopped by police. Like, Jess and I got stopped like eight times just from a, like a 20-minute walk from the hospital to this Airbnb that we were staying at. And some of the stops were like very friendly like hey do you guys have a place to stay where are you going do you know where you're going um do you need help uh, but some were not <laughs> and so we quickly started avoiding police um and started walking down alleyways and so like in the streets because we were just so tired of getting stopped and trying to communicate they didn't understand what we were trying to tell them they're telling us like 15 days quarantine so we know <laughs> we're trying to go somewhere else and um <laughs> and yeah so that was like the first thing um the police stop stop or the getting stopped by the police started to become more not friendly than it was actually friendly it's more like telling us like you guys need to get inside um sort of thing um we stopped being able to walk in pairs or in groups they started separating us um it was weird like somebody was waiting kind of like outside of our Airbnb one day and like we walked out and he like stopped us and he said like no like only one person can leave um, at a time like you have to go back in and wait until he comes back but we were trying to get like refunds for Machu Picchu tickets and so like we both had to be there with our passports and so it was just a lot of this like it uh, situational like things that kept happening and um didn't Once they come we to your house and tell you to go started, to bed? like avoiding the police. Yes, that's what happened next. So we we started avoiding police, 
And then the nightly curfew happened. And we were up and we would have the game nights with myself and the four roommates. And we would teach each other how to play card games or we would have like trivia nights or we made this like homemade Catan board, which is like Settlers of Catan, which is my favorite board game ever, out of like paper and matchsticks. And <laughs> so we were like, you go out and um, buy some beer and like <laughs> drink and like still be social. That's and awesome. we had police knock, mm-hmm. like five police officers knocked, <laughs> five police officers um, knocked on our door at 9 p.m. And Jess was the first one to open it. I hear them yelling in Spanish. I kind of run down because I'm the only one who knows how to speak Spanish at this point. And they, I, <laughs> I was understanding a little bit, but I also just wanted them to leave us alone. So I was hoping, like, I would just pull out my translator and ask them if I didn't know how to speak Spanish. And made them type type in everything. It was a very awkward situation. There was five of them at first, then two ended up walking away, but the two that were walking away were saying something like, and I couldn't figure out if it was $15 or 15 days, but they were, they were talking about jail time and they were talking about money. And so I also wanted to use my translator because I didn't know if they were trying to get us to bribe them or what was going on. And so those original two left and then it was just three after that. And we were talking back and forth and they were like, why are you up at this time? What are you doing? Why are your lights on? <laughs> and so I had to like explain that we were, I said like, oh, we're working up there, but it's like 9 p.m. Like this isn't, this isn't like <laughs> out of the ordinary. And um, they said, shut off your lights, go to bed, um, all this stuff. Um, luckily they, they didn't end up coming inside. Um, we shut off all of our lights and we were just sitting around in the dark. And uh, after that point, we started putting up blankets over our windows so they couldn't see to, like see the lights. And um, that was a little concerning. So I like posted online, I was like, "Hey, is this normal?" And ever like so many people like responded that it's not normal. Um, this is around the same time that reports are coming out about um, fake police being out. Um, people were having their passports taken and not returned. Um, there was videos of like local Peruvians getting caught outside out of curfew and like the police were chasing them on motorcycles back to their place. <laughs> people were getting arrested for walking their dogs out in their front yard. Um, oh I'm trying to think of some of the other, some of the other stories that were coming up. Um, and so like things were getting really weird at this point. Yeah, and I started getting really concerned because a lot of these rules that they were putting out, like the curfew and stuff, or not, um, or some of the other different rules too, like um, you couldn't buy, you weren't allowed to buy alcohol and drink, and so I was actually very nervous for them coming in. Like we started hiding, like it was like college again. You're like you're hiding all all your alcohol and all your bottles and stuff um, because I was afraid that they would come in. They were going into hostels um, and breathalyzing people. And if you were found drinking in the hostel, the hostel had sold you beer, they would arrest you. Oh my. So foreigners were getting arrested and taken to like Peruvian jail for like 24 hours. And then they would let them go and they would pay a fine. And so I was very nervous. Um, A lot of these rules, like I recognize as them trying to prevent riots. And so that's when I started getting a little nervous about being stuck there for a prolonged period of time 
because if that happens, um, it's more like <laughs> riots were a bigger concern for me at this point than the virus. And so um, we hear more and more of these stories coming up, and that's when I decide to start reaching out um, to try and get us back home. Um, it was also around this time that we found out we had a Excel spreadsheet of 6,500 people's names on it. That was only about half of U.S. citizens actually in Peru. Um, the letter came out that the number was actually between like 13,000 and 14,000. We had a lot of people um, Peru was allowing repatriation flights, which re repatriation just means like you have to give it a, get a government approved flight back to your home. And uh, um, there were examples of like Mexico getting all of their citizens back. There was examples of um, Israel getting all of their citizens back. But it seemed like the government of Peru and the U.S. government wasn't quite seen eye to eye. Mm. And there was like 6,000 Peru, Peruvians that needed to come back to Peru. And the story was that Peru was trying to get the U.S. to board all their planes, bring Peruvians back, unload, board the U.S. citizens, and fly us back to, to the U.S. They were basically trying to get America to pay for pay for the um, flights for the um, Peruvians to come back home. Mm -hmm. um, this Trump came on and started talking and saying, oh, we know that there's a group of like 300 U.S. citizens stuck in Peru. 300? We're trying to get you out. We're going to start. Yeah, yeah. So that was the original reports so was like 300 people, and which was way off. Yeah. Um, and... It was also conflicting because somebody and who was a stuck citizen had um, a contact within the U.S. State Department, and their contact was saying they actually had direct orders from the presidential higher-ups to not start any repatriation. And so that's why the U.S. Embassy was largely MIA for those first five days. And then after he came on the news and said that, the next day, U.S. Embassy reached out and um, started working on bringing people back. The problem is that as each day like passed, crew got more and more strict, not only with like their local laws of like traveling between cities and the curfews, who could go out at what time, but also with how the repatriation was going. And so they started putting restrictions on only a thousand persons per day leaving the country. There's 13,000 U.S. citizens. There was like 6,000 persons from Britain. There was like 8,000 Germans. Um, effectively, what I think what they were trying to do was stabilize their economy and trap the tourists that were there. There. Wow. Because as we're there, we're paying for hotels, we're paying for hostels, we're paying oh, for yeah. food at the local markets. Um, and so I think that's what they were doing, which I can't blame them. <laughs> smart um, and so they started as soon as like the US started getting involved all of a sudden they were making these way more stricter rules and during this whole time those first five days there were two nonprofits that started getting um, involved and it was like I got to meet um, or talk over the phone I ended up getting involved with one is the coolest nonprofit like they're 
their whole thing is to get people out of shitty situations. And so mm-hmm. they, like, when Hurricane Dorian hit last year, they were, like, flying U.S. citizens back from, from the Bahamas um, back to the U.S. And it just, like, it seems so cool. And all these nonprofits kept getting denied by the U.S. government for getting us flights out. So one nonprofit had a flight ready to go in Texas and bring us back. They said no. Peruvian uh, approval to land. And then this other nonprofit had um, some like local South American supply, um, South American companies supply us back. And at first it was like, oh, they're not safe. They don't meet the criteria. Once they finally like met the criteria, all of a sudden the US government was like, now we're looking into different options. So they kept like pushing potential um, flights back for us off. And Pushing it was getting really no, no, it's U.S. government. Oh, uh, they kept okay. saying no to opportunities and these nonprofits getting us back, and I don't know why, um, but they were, and so like people were there with their families. There's a lot of elderly people there. There's people like running out of like insulin, heart medication. Like um, this was maybe a week and a half later that all this like serious stuff started happening, and. Um, a lot of people still at this point hadn't got out. Um, it wasn't until maybe a week later after it shut down that they got their first like real flight out. After that, Peruvian government switched um, their rules again, which means you have to like apply for all these different applications all over again. And um, they had like flights canceled for the next two days. Um, but the U.S. embassy numbers kept going up in their emails, which is really confusing. So I stopped believing their numbers at this point. And we're just waiting for a phone call for us to get on these flights. There was a nonprofit still trying to get us out. There was um, the U.S. government trying to get us out, and still largely no no communication from them either uh, on what was going on. So how are you, eventually the how are you staying with the um, information? Like, was this was this all phone call like internet? Like did you have direct contacts? Like this was all. Uh, yeah, this was all internet. So we tried, we had like local SIM cards in Peru. Every time you cross a, a border, you have to get a new SIM card for your phone. Um, if, that, if that's how like you chose to do it, which is what we chose because it was a little bit cheaper. But ours had, <laughs> when you buy SIM cards in Peru, you don't know if you're getting something legit. Um, and so you like try to talk to this person because they're like sitting at bus stations. And they'll like sell you the sim and you don't know like if they're actually putting the amount of inter- like minutes on there that you need or if they're putting the amount of data. And so um, Jess's phone ended up running out like a week. Um, her phone just wouldn't work after that point. Mine ran out, mine ran out like maybe five or seven days after the quarantine happened. And so we were trying to buy more data on our phones so that we could get these phone calls from the government if they came in. And everything was like not working online, so we couldn't buy any more like minutes or SIM card or anything like that. So everything was coming online in this like giant Facebook group, and a lot of confusing information coming in. So again, you're like not really sure like what's going on. There's a lot of scams popping up. People trying to get like people to pay money, saying, "Oh, we'll fly you out. Oh, uh, my internet connection is getting bad. I'll have to go." And um, so there, there were a lot of scams happening at the same time. So 
very, very confusing. Um, it was, I think, a week later when the nonprofit found out that the Israelis had left like five com or five planes back in Cusco when they were trying to get people out. It was owned by like a U.S. company, and so they had five planes like <laughs> there ready to go back to the U.S. and it seemed like the perfect scenario because there was less paperwork for them to do. Um, all they needed was crew and government approval to like get right. back. It was owned by a U.S. company, so they knew they were on U.S. standards. Um, the nonprofit got the approval or approving support to like fly them out, and then again, the U.S. government denied it, saying there were no other options. What the hell? Um, pretty soon after that, the government teamed up with a for-profit company exclusively. And then the for-profit company ends up going underneath the nonprofit company and snagging those five planes. And that was actually one of the planes that I flew back home on. Um, wow. Was was that? So it was it was very confusing. Um, it was very frustrating because it seemed like we had opportunities to leave and they kept right. being stopped um, by somebody in the U.S. government. And it was almost like you're you're kind of in this middle of the situation. You you feel like you're one of those like crazy conspiracy theorists. You're like in the middle of this, and um, you start like wondering like what's like, it doesn't make any sense. Why is this thing going on? Maybe I'm just not understanding this stuff. Um, so the U.S. government ends up getting people like on planes. They start having frequent flies out like one every day maybe two every day and they were highly unorganized they were telling us to submit our information like four different places at first it was a step program then we needed to email them directly and we needed to email somewhere else and sign up on this list through this like chartered flight for-profit company and then we needed to go back to um, emailing them again and setting up an on-step program. And so there's all this confusion within them. Then all these photos started popping up of these flights going back home that had like half full planes. So they were sending out letters for like three-year-olds to get on the plane, but not their parents. And so they couldn't like, they weren't not going to send their child back. Or they would send out uh, and a letter for a spouse member, but he or she was married to a uh, permanent resident, not a U.S. citizen. And so they, they weren't going to leave them behind. So, they were, they were so were they just choosing people at random then of like who was going to get on these flights first? They were just like, there was no rhyme or reason. It was just like, okay, you guys are getting on the first flight and you are getting on the second. Like it was just, they were going through the people or was like first come first serve? It seemed, they, they said that there was some priority. And so when they're collecting inf information, they wanted to know your age. So I think anybody over than 60 um, probably had a good chance of being on those first flights yeah. back. Um, you could put down if you had some medical issues, um, children under the, 18, the age of 18 were getting back. Jess was actually the first out of our group to go back, and I think it was because she was a young female. And they were having stories coming out of like, these hostels of um, females getting like sexually assaulted. Um, while they were like stuck in quarantine. And mm -hmm. so I think that they definitely prioritized that group as well to come back home first. 
um, side bid on the hostels. So this is like a, a week later. One of those hostels um, is oh, actually that's too many. Very big hostel um, ends up having somebody who had a positive case of COVID. Um, they lock down the whole thing. You're not allowed to leave not only your hostel, but your room. And so a lot of people are living in these rooms with like 12 people, 10 people. And so oh. now you're only allowed to leave for food that they cook for you because there's not a kitchen. Um, you're allowed to leave to go use the bathroom and you're allowed an hour <laughs> out of the day to go sit out on the patio. And that was it. Wow. Yeah. That's like prison. That's like isolation. Yeah, it's worse. And yeah, 100%, 100%, just like prison. Um, I actually had two friends that were there from Germany that were that I met in that Spanish school in uh, Colombia. So it was like kind of bummed out that we didn't get to see each other. I was like, oh, we almost, like we literally almost stayed at that hostel and considered like going there. And the only reason we didn't is because they weren't allowing people back in. Um, Odd. And so we might have we might have gotten stuck in there. And I felt so bad for them. So I was getting these updates from them. They had a doctor come in and basically he decided if you were healthy or not and if you were unhealthy you stayed there if you were healthy you left and went to um this hotel and they would ask people i don't know exactly what they're what they were checking outside of like temperatures and shortness of breath and stuff um but if anybody said like oh i might have a cough they would lock that entire room down and so they got stuck there inside the unquote unhealthy group with oh the um, I can't imagine anything worse. And everybody else got sprayed down. <laughs> everybody else got sprayed down with this like corn, chlorine water. Um, so I ended up meeting people later at this plane. They just have like bleach stains everywhere. They got sprayed oh stuff my god! In the hotel after that. <laughs> so that's crazy. So, <laughs> at this point, they're. How many days ahead, sorry, Kim. actually end up staying in quarantine before you got the call that you got to be on one of these planes home? Like, how many days did it end up being? I was there for 18 days. So okay. Jess um, was the first to go. She was my friend. So she got to go back. And so we got to hear, like, a little bit of what it was like. And one of the um, British friends got to go for that day as well. So they're contacting us, um, basically what was happening. They're making us sign a promissory note before we hop on the plane um, that says that we will pay them back for whatever the cost of the plane is. Um, to this day, two weeks later, I still don't know what the cost is. Um, <laughs> Jess, who's been back for like four weeks now, still doesn't know what the cost is. So okay, she gets to go back. The very next day, the other two... British persons um, get the fly back as well. So now I am solo. Um, the place that we were staying at was running out um, within the next couple of days for like the amount of time that we had been, uh, like, scheduled it for. And so luckily the lady was like taking really, really good care of me. She was letting me extend like day by day at like a super cheap rate, which is myself. Um, but all of a sudden I'm like, they're solo. And I didn't think I'd be there past um, March 31st. And when I woke up on April 1st, I was very, very nervous because I 
started getting the feeling that I was going to be stuck there for a very, very long time because I saw the restrictions happen more and more strict. Um, I was seeing all of the, like, now it wasn't police roaming the street, now it was military. Um, things were getting a lot more strict around. Um, I actually did go for a walk. Um, there was a couple of uh, French girls standing across the road from us, and we went for just like a, a walk out, um, and we ended up getting like stopped by the police when we were in like the middle of nowhere up on this like hill slash parky area, and um, I thought for sure that we were going to like take us in, um, but they ended up just letting us like walk back to our Airbnb. Um, oh there was one pizza place that was across the street as well. It was like the black market pizza place. You had like knock three times and they're like opening up and let you in get some pizza. Um, so that was the only oh, like, that would have been perfect food that we had that wasn't ramen, bread, or eggs. Oh my god! <laughs> it wasn't great pizza, but it was it was something different different than that. Uh, so it was great. But yeah, so now. Um, I was really, really nervous, and luckily I, I went out and I bought a whole bunch of food from the market. Um, and April 1st was when I got the call saying, hey, um, you'll have your, or I didn't get a call, I got an email um, saying, be at this location, it's like 8 p.m. at night, this would be, be at this location at like 8 a.m. in the morning. And um, so I had all this food I just bought, I just like gave it away and packed all my stuff and then got up early that morning to wow. go try and be the first in line to get back. Um, during this whole time, I've been contacting people. I've been leveraging on friends um, to contact their congressmen. Uh, <clears throat> every day I would wake up and like send out emails to all these congressmen. I think I got in touch with like seven or eight like senators and congressmen and um, uh, government um, representatives. And 100% think that that was the only reason I got on the plane. Um, they were trying to make it a priority for like medical personnel, but I, I really think it was like all these uh, people reaching out for me because there are still people there stuck in the U.S. or from the U.S. in, in Peru um, that haven't gotten flights back yet. Um, they've only repatriated maybe six or 7,000 of us. So there's still over half still there. And I truly think that if I wouldn't have had all the support back home reaching out for me, then I would still be, still be there. So very, very thankful for everybody who reached out on my behalf. Um, ended up in talk with so many, or in touch with so many people um, to the point where some offices were like annoyed because <laughs> they kept wow. getting multiple emails and they would say, oh, we, our office is aware and we have contacted Dylan and they're you know, getting sassy, but that was exactly what I needed. I needed them to be aware of who I, who I was and where I was. And um, I think that's yeah. the only reason I got on live. I said I would actually take that a step further though just from kind of what we always think about is having that positive attitude you also see positive things happen in your life if you would have been panicking um, I think you might have and I'm just speculating but just my thought process is you would have had a di totally different outcome and even possibly wouldn't even been out of the country if, if that panic would have got out of the way but you stayed so positive in your experience and just kind of taking it day by day. And I really think that that also helped get you home as well. Well, And, and proactive yeah, and having people rally around for support, you know, and, and reaching out yeah. and resources you had available, you right. know, it's just like such a crazy experience. I'm sure you 
like sitting on the plane and the doors close and you're taxiing out to the runway, you were probably like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, so we, when we got there, um, I was in a bus. Um, so you, you get to this early meeting point. Um, I actually couldn't see it. It was like, we only had like 13 of us in line or something like that. And it wasn't in the exact spot that they said it was going to be. So I ended up getting this like long line of like what I thought was a hodgepodge of people. I thought it was all going to be one bus. Um, but I was wrong in my accents. I thought it was like a little bit of French, a little bit of German. They're all Germans. And so I like get up to the table. I'm like, hi, I'm here to go to the airport. And they're like, oh, you're in the wrong line. <laughs> and so I had like, I had all this confusion going on. And um, so I ended up finding the bus, um, got there, talking with people. Um, I ended up meeting a couple. Well, they weren't really a couple. They were two people that had mohawks, one guy and a girl. And they had come from like one of these really small towns. Now, these really small towns were having a really hard time because all their markets were getting shut down. So they weren't able to go out and get food like I was. They were having power outages because they're they had no employees like working, um, working the plants, and so they would have like nightly power outages where they can't communicate with anybody. And so it was like the true like like what I would consider like really bad case scenario. Yeah. So they ended up getting in to Cusco. Had this flight. Um, they were telling me these stories. Um, they were in these like small towns where bodies were getting laid out on the street because the family would like find them um you know passed away whether it was from natural or whether it was COVID related and they would bring them out like the body collection that they would usually have in that town wasn't operating nobody wanted to touch them because they were worried about the virus and so there are literally bodies in the street in these like smaller towns and so that's when i realized it was getting serious in those outskirts that weren't in the city so Again, very thankful that we were able to make it back to that city. They got in, they met each other, decided to get Mohawks. Um, the dude was like mid-30s, the girl was like 18, 19, something like that. It was kind of weird. And um, they got in, and they realized they got in way too late. They went to sleep, and they decided to do um, some cocaine um, oh. to stay up. Um, the thing about, thing about cocaine is it'll raise your temperature. And they were checking temperatures at the airport. So one of them didn't make it. Um, she didn't pass the temperature thing and got escorted away. I don't know what happened to her oh um, after that point. And then there was, there was about five or six others that weren't allowed to come on. Um, that group that was in that hostel, they had five or six come from the unhealthy hostel that had five or six come from the hotel. The five or six that came from the unhealthy hostel were <clears throat> made it past the temperature, but basically um, Peru government didn't want them to leave. And so they came out and they said their names and they round them all up. They got in the truck and they were escorted off as well. The five or six that were quote unquote healthy, after we get there, we had to stand in the middle of the parking lot of the airport like six foot away from each other um we put our bags down i thought they were going to spray us with something um they ended up not they just like brought the drug dogs out to check um and then we stood in lines after that everybody had mask on um, it was pretty hot but 
these five or six that came from the unhealth or the, the healthy hotel, they got called and they got brought out back to the back to the parking lot. So I thought for sure they were going to get escorted off, but they just kept kept them standing there, standing there, standing there, standing there. And then we see them bring over a physician, and he's like checking with them. And he walks away, and they're standing there and standing there. And so like all of us are like watching this group, see if they actually get to come back or not. And um, eventually they they all passed, and so there's like a big cheer <laughs> from everybody oh um, that they were able to get on the plane. <laughs> God, I can't so, even imagine like oh, going, very, making, it, um, making it all the way to the airport and be like, okay, I'm so close. I'm so close. I'm so close. I'm almost there. And uh -huh. then being escorted off of the, off the airport, I mm -hmm. wouldn't like lost my mind. Well, just, and just being guilty yeah. by association. Yeah. And also, I think too, mm -hmm. I would have been super nervous just being there with Kim because what if one of us you know, and like that feeling, like I would have, oh my gosh. Right. Like you're not going to leave the, the other person behind. I was actually super thankful that Jess went back first because um, yeah. I was having that struggle with me. I don't know if I could have left my friend back because right. I don't know. I felt very confident solo, um, but I don't know. I just, I, I'm more likely to get in a fight over my friends than I felt. So yeah. yeah, I agree. But um, yeah, I got, so I, when I got that phone call, I did not tell anybody, uh, maybe just a few select people. I didn't, I didn't tell family. I didn't tell close friends. I was so nervous something was going to happen. I wasn't actually going to get on the flight. And so it wasn't until I landed from Cusco in Lima um, that I texted my, uh, my parents and said I was going to be in Miami that night. Um, and then even then, going back to this whole like un, uh, unorganized mess, there was still ton of like empty seats on my flight coming back even though there was a massive line and standby line for people to hop on and i still like, do not understand why people couldn't like come on to the plane and fill up those seats right um, we were being told that that was a problem that was that used to be a problem and now it wasn't a problem but clearly like on my flight there were still people not there um so yeah we fly back into miami i'm expecting like <laughs> Got like military, like to somebody to come on board, tell us about like quarantining procedures, like all the stuff that you have to do. Uh, nope, we landed super late at night. It was like at 11 p.m., 10 p.m., and it's super quiet. You walk off the plane, whole airport is absolutely empty. Um, I ordered an Uber, went back to our, there was a uh, hospital right by the airport that Justin stayed at and she told me about. Um, got an Uber there. I was the only person in this like 10 person room and ordered a bunch of Chinese food and then ate my weight in Chinese. And got the first flight back to St. Louis um, after that. Uh, I bet that was like the best feeling in the world to like touch down <laughs> and just be like, oh my gosh, like I'm home. Yeah. You know, it's like when, yeah. you, when you're away yeah. and you're experiencing all of this, it's like you forget like just how blessed we are like to be back in our own country mm -hmm. <laughs> on our own turf, even though it seems like the American government was being like shisty as fuck. Yeah. But yeah, I just think too, like it's funny because, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, this whole time Kim and I had just got back from New Zealand and it was like a breeze. And we walk in and we got in three days before the craziness mm -hmm. started. 
and we're in the hotel and we actually had the thought of, well, it's not that bad to be like stuck in a foreign country, like being able to do what we want to do and, you know, not working. And we're on this like cool adventure or whatever. And that thought actually came about, but hearing your story, I really, I'm really thankful that we had enough, you know, intuition to stay home and ride this out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. I think when like telling the story, like it's so easy to look back now and just be like, Oh my gosh, you guys are so foolish to stay there. Like, what are you doing? And I would totally look back and think that, but at the time, like we were safe, quote unquote safer in Peru than we were in the U S U S had all these cases going on. Peru had zero, um, whether that be they weren't testing or, you know, whatever. Um, but South America was like one of the last hit. And so we were kind of getting like, we would talk to friends and family. They're like, you might be safer down there. And I agree. And nothing had hit yet. Like Argentina was the only one that had their borders closed. Everybody else was getting like three, three, um, three days notice. Um, so it was super relaxed. And then within, I mean, <laughs> once it hit with, with that, like within two or three days, like everything escalated so quickly. I mean, it was only three days later from the APM you know, Kurt or APM quarantine starting. Um, and three days later, we're having five police like knock on our doors and telling us to shut our lights off and go to bed. Go to bed. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I was super thankful. Had a, <laughs> had a friend that was here in yeah. um, St. Louis that I was able to crash with. I did a self-isolation um, and just stayed there. My family's a little at risk for getting sick, so I didn't want to bring anything back home with me after um, three international airports and then no symptoms. And so uh, got to come home home just a few days ago. Wow. Wow. What a crazy journey. <laughs> I know. Gosh. So when's your next trip booked? Yes. So let's plan. what do you have planned now? <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Um, my family says I'm not, I'm not allowed to travel anymore. But, um, yeah, right. Yeah, that's like. <laughs> I'm like, like I, I know I'm gonna pick up this trip again at some point. Like exactly where I left off. I'm gonna go back to Cusco. I gotta, you know, see freaking Machu Picchu. Um, yeah. And I'm gonna like be obnoxious the whole way. Like back in my day, we had a pandemic that we had to walk through in order to get right? to Machu Picchu. We only got to see yep. the gates. Um, <laughs> totally. That's gonna be a good story. Oh yeah. It is a good story. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, we're going to Machu Picchu in August. And we're hiking. If you want to join our group, yes. <laughs> we're, we're doing you know, I'm more of a solo guy, but uh, I appreciate the offer. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're like, I solo travel for life. <laughs> Man. No, I think, um, I, I'm, you know, the next on my list is going to be Africa and Australia. And yeah. um, so I probably will return to South America for another three years, but it is going to be the first place to come back to the, the first totally. place I'll ever like revisit. Thank but. you for sharing your story <laughs> with us. You're, you're like the first person that we know that was actually going through this and experiencing it in a different country. It was just really interesting to hear your perspective and experience and story. And I know that was like, t I mean, we're laughing about you being able to go to bed at nine, but I know it was probably really so scary, scary. Yeah. in the moment. And um, <laughs> I'm glad that you're home and safe in St. Louis. And um, yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we'll just, uh, we really appreciate it. Even the, um, you know, last week's episode with the solo traveling, so much information there. But um, we always love talking to you and um, we just appreciate you coming on and doing this for our listeners. Yeah, definitely, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Again, super big honor to be the first interview on this show. And uh, yeah, I hope, hope people can get some get some uh, wisdom out of my experiences and some, uh, some tips that help you moving forward. But yes, very thankful to be home and just been very grateful for this whole, the whole thing again, after hearing wow. some of the others that have gone through much worse situations than I, um, mm-hmm. I've just been very fortunate in all my travels. Yeah, I was going to say, not even just the value that you gave, but just some holy shit moments, you know, it's like crazy. So <laughs> I know my mouth was like to the floor, like pretty much the whole time where I was just like, is this like real? I, it's just hard to even imagine, you yeah. know, <laughs> let um, everybody like know the never ending story just kept going. I know. <laughs> Let everybody know where they can find you, your podcast, um, and all, all the things. Yeah, definitely. So the podcast where it's very interview style, much like this, um, New Medical Nomads, um, you can find that at newmedicalnomads.com or anywhere that you're listening to these episodes, you can find it as well. I can Spotify, favorite app. And then I was saying last time, I'm not the best social media person. I still have all my pictures from South America to post. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try and post when I can when I'm not in the middle of adventures, but if you guys have any questions, um, Anything that you're going through, you know, a little bit of motivation on the road if you're solo or introverted or whatever it might be, feel free to reach out. I'm uh, very responsive. Awesome. awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on, and um, we'll talk soon. <laughs>